0: Scripture Study Project, our podcast dedicated to helping you discover the scriptures in a fresh way, invest your mind and heart into your personal study, and connect to God in your everyday life. We are your hosts, Krista and Zach Horton, and we're here this week to study with you in the scriptures. Surprise! Sections, 100,
1: Surprise. sections 111 through 114. We are uh, titling this episode after the word in the first verse of section 111, Follies. or Folly.
0: It kind of sounds like you're saying fall leaves.
1: Fall. Well, it is fall and we are seeing leaves turning color, so.
0: (laughs) You guys, I tried to kind of get Zach off track by saying something (laughs) different at the beginning. He just plowed right through. Laser focused. There was nothing getting through.
1: We want to talk about mistakes. Um... Our mistakes, reframing the way that we view our own mistakes, and hopefully maybe preventing some future mistakes.
0: And you called them follies, not to be confused with fall leaves, because of some of the phrasing that turns up in the scriptures this yep. week. So we'll be excited to discuss that a little more, as folly is not usually a word we use to talk about mistakes, at least today. So,
1: Well, maybe that's a good place to start, is a definition of the word folly. So in the 1828 Webster's Dictionary, which is the dictionary of the day Joseph Smith was writing and translating, uh, I looked up the word folly, and there's a couple of different definitions, but some that stood out to me. One was a want of understanding, and another one was a weak or absurd act, not highly criminal. And you get the sense from section 111, verse one, that something has happened that uh, qualifies as a folly something that joseph and those that are with him have done that qualifies as a folly a mistake but it's not a a highly criminal act it's not even labeled as a sin it's just a mistake
0: well i like the definition i just looked it up from maybe what google would give me today yeah um and it just says lack of good sense or foolishness and so that kind of is what you're describing there, yeah. which I kind of like, because I think that's something that most of us can relate to. It's not that we're, I mean, of course, we all have those things that are mistakes and that we regret or that we're, we've we repented of, whatever. But the idea of kind of just something, some dumb things that we do that mm-hmm. we're wondering to ourselves, why did we do that? It's just dumb and not thoughtf- thought- not thoughtful. So I like that.
1: Um, the, the background here, I think, is not only interesting, but also a little bit relevant to us. So section 111, if you read the section introduction, it obliquely references that Joseph uh, and some church leaders had heard that there was money to be had in Salem, and so they travel there, they can't find the money, and that maybe that's the cause of the folly. Uh, The historical record's a little bit vague on this. There is one account of them hearing that there might have been a a treasure in a basement of a house, and that if they would go to Salem, they could find this house. And uh, there's a couple of references and letters that they were looking for a specific house, but those references are all pretty, like I said, vague and oblique. Um, So we don't really know the exact reason why they went to Salem. Certainly, church debt and church problems are on their mind. We know that from what they're writing about and thinking about at the time. And uh, they're going to Salem to try and find ways to relieve church debt, relieve their own debt. They've they've paid uh, out of their own pocket for so many different things, publishing the Book of Commandments, uh, the Kirtland Temple, and some of the land in and around Zion. And so they're looking for ways to solve that. Um, one of the ways is that they would preach and then ask for essentially ask for donations to support their their cause. And so that's one way they did it. But um, Joseph would be plagued by uh, a lack of material wealth for his entire life, and the church itself too. We don't become a a solvent church until years and years later. And so that's the background of section 111. Section 112 is Thomas Marsh, president of the Quorum of the Twelve. He hears that there's some schisms in the Twelve, amongst the Twelve, criticizing the prophet in Kirtland. And so he's in Zion. So he makes the trip back to Kirtland on his way back. He meets Parley Pratt, who himself is disaffected. And uh, Thomas Marsh convinces Parley to come back to Kirtland. But when Brother Marsh gets there, he hears that Joseph has sent two of the 12 on a mission to England without his knowledge. And he's the president of the Quorum of the 12 and missionary service is supposed to be his stewardship. And so there's some some friction there and uh, he's chastised for that. And so this is kind of what's going on uh, around this time, a lot of examples of not highly criminal things, not sins, not outright destructive habits, just some follies, just some mistakes. And as we reflect on them, I think it's really relevant for us because uh, we probably don't find ourselves all too often trapped in giant, huge, world-ending, life-changing sins, though those do happen we probably find ourselves much more often caught by follies and mistakes. And what we want to do in this episode is uh, navigate our way through those so that maybe we can view our mistakes a little bit differently and maybe hopefully prevent some future mistakes. So if that first part of the episode is discovering what follies are, our invest question for this episode is really simple, and it's just, what are my follies? What are my mistakes? And what we want to do is provide some uh, things that we noticed in this block. Of course, in your study, you will find things that are much more personal to you. But in providing these ideas, it might help us identify our follies and view our own humanity in maybe a little bit different way.
0: So as we began this study with that question in mind, um, what caught me was, I think this was the same as last week, the first verse. But um I love the way that section 111 begins. I, the Lord your God, am not displeased with your coming this journey, notwithstanding your follies. Um, He wants to, the first thing he does is remind us, in this case specifically, Joseph and Hiram and Oliver, um, but I think this can apply to all of us, to remind us that he's not displeased. We might have made a small mistake. We might have made a folly. Might have done something that maybe we're just really bothered at ourselves. Why did I do this? Um, but to remember that God is really quick to forgive and he is not displeased with us as much as we probably think he is. Um, I just recently was reading in a book by Brooke Snow and she talks about forgiveness and uses the reference to Christ of light in a way that I hadn't thought of before. And I thought it applies to this really cool. Um, we talk about Jesus Christ says that he is the light and we talk about that, how he illuminates and lights up. But what she brought up was the, the speed that light travels and that in the scriptures, in the new Testament, when Jesus heals and He's forgiven in an instant. The people that he heals and forgives, he says that they're immediately healed, that they're instantly healed. And I love the thought of that to think sometimes we can belabor the forgiveness that we get. And usually it's us doing that. We can make it a lot heavier and bigger than it needs to be when we've already been forgiven and that the Lord is not as displeased with us as we probably think he is.
1: I always think of mistakes that my children make that they beat themselves up about uh, dramatically. You know, they'll get really upset and really frustrated. And I, as a parent, looking back on their, you know, childhood mistakes, I can see it obviously with the benefit of of a couple more years. And their mistake doesn't seem nearly as big to me as it does to them. And a lot of my work is spent trying to convince, my 11-year-old son does this a lot, trying to convince him that no, he's not horrible, that no, he, he hasn't done something that's despicable, that he's not the worst person ever, he just made a mistake. And it's interesting to think of that relationship, because I think I wonder how often that's what our what, what God does with us, that he's trying to convince us that we're not horrible, that we haven't ruined our life or ruined other people's lives. We've just made a mistake because we're learning and growing as children do.
0: I think the thought of children growing up is a great example of that, because we can see things so much differently as the parent or as the grown-up, and you see the development process. I even, speaking of the same 11-year-old son, I see him learning and growing into things and then getting kind of upset at his younger siblings for doing the same mistakes that he did probably only six months ago that he's just recently changed or a year or two ago.
1: Or hasn't yet changed. Right.
0: And just to remember that it's just this growing process that we have and to be kind to ourselves and also be kind to other people who are just learning and growing along with us.
1: And when he, when he gets mad at his uh, younger sister for bossing her younger sister and he gets bossy to her and tells her not to boss someone else. That's always a a funny experience. It's always
0: lots of fun. (laughs)
1: So the folly that I found came as I uh, dug into the history a bit, Um, especially as I looked at some of the discord, dissatisfaction amongst church members and church leaders aimed at other church leaders. Uh, There's dissatisfaction with church organization, uh, with some practices or policies Uh, There's not tons of dissatisfaction about doctrine necessarily, but there is some discord about how the church is organized and how it's being run. People that think they can do it better than, you know, Joseph Smith or uh, that they can serve better than Sidney Rigdon or that it should be organized a little bit differently.
0: Well, I was thinking about it too. I mean, it talks about Thomas Marsh coming, expecting that he was going to be the one in charge of calling on people on missions and then he goes and meets them and people are already on missions (laughs) and he's kind of bugged at that which i think we can i can totally understand that i think there's so many um moving parts to getting a church going, especially these people are hundreds of miles apart. People are doing different things and organizing different things at different times. So you can kind of understand the frustration that's going on around all of this organization at this time.
1: Well, and fast forward to uh, 200 years and we have a church that we're still in the middle of restoring, right? The restoration is ongoing. We are receiving light and uh, the church is... Um, responding to the world in which we live and to its members and trying to adjust uh, to meet needs. And there's many more people than there were 200 years ago and uh, even more moving parts than we had. And it's probably easy for us to look at this worldwide church, uh, either locally, our own local units, or the worldwide church, and to find what we might call follies or mistakes or Um, things that we wish were done differently. I don't think that necessarily is the folly. Um, There needs to be critical thinking on our part if we're going to move forward. We need to ask difficult questions and search for those hard-to-find answers. But I love this comment from Violet Kimball. So Heber Kimball's on a mission in England, and she's writing to him about all of this discord that's happening back in Kirtland. And she says this, now, after all that I have said about this dissenting party, there is some of them that I love and have great feeling and pity for them. I, know them. I know they have been tried to the very quick. And what grieves me the most of all is that many things which they tell I have no doubt but what are too true. Still, I do not think they are justifiable in the course they have taken." I think one of the follies we make quite often is in the pursuit of something good or desirable, we choose a path to that end that is inconsistent with our Christian beliefs, with with the way that Jesus Christ himself would do it, um, or just with basic decency. Whether it's uh, a method that is inconsistent with our beliefs, uh, whether it's timing, I was struck in section 11 that the Lord tells them that there's much treasure in the city. But then in verse 4, he tells them that uh, in due time, this treasure will be given to them. And a lot of times I think that uh, in the pursuit of something good, we might rush the path to get there and create tension and and problems and unforeseen consequences. Uh, It might also be that uh, it's the wrong person. That's pushing for something. Uh, Thomas Marsh was certainly guilty of overstepping and trying to uh, correct the prophet, and that would lead to difficulties later on in life when he would leave the church because of some of those same problems, some of that same uh, kind of pride that that crept in. Um, it's I think fascinating in this block section 113 is that great description of those Isaiah the Isaiah symbol of the stem of Jesse and. Um, seeing that Joseph Smith has been called and has that responsibility, I think, is an interesting blend or an interesting insert into this discussion to understand exactly what the role of a prophet is. So I don't think that um, too many people in the world we live in really desire bad things. I don't think there's people going around saying, well, I, I really want to cause more problems in the world. I want to cause pain. I want to cause stress or disorder. We all want harmony, we all want peace, and we all want progress. So that pain and that discord doesn't come from a desire to create it. It comes from uh, a folly in going about bringing about peace or progress or harmony in the wrong way. Um, I've had a couple of experiences this last week where um, different people have tried to correct things and they've just done it in a somewhat, well, not even somewhat, just a really contentious way. And it, uh, the, the what they were trying to bring about wasn't wrong, but the way that they did it caused such disagreement and such ill feelings that the progress they wanted to see isn't going to be seen because of the method they were choosing to get there.
0: So, are these offensive people me or the mice that have been running <laughs> around our house? Definitely
1: the mice, <laughs> never you.
0: <laughs> never. Never. (laughs) Um, So I couldn't help but think of this next one. And I guess, you know, it kind of ties in with the first point I brought up of the forgiveness, but also just how reassuring God is for us. The next verse in section 111 In verse 2, he says, he reminds them that he has much treasure. In spite of the mistakes that they've made, there's still many more things that he's preparing, that he's working. He talks about in verse 4, I will give this city unto your hands. Like, don't stress out that it didn't work out the way that you wanted it to. Um, and then in verse 5 and 6, concern not yourselves about your debts, concern not yourselves about Zion, for I will deal mercifully with her. And about the debts in verse 5, for I will give you power to pay them. To remember that God is still on our side, even when we ha- things haven't turned out the way that we wanted them to, or that we thought they will, or in spite of a mistake. Maybe it was, it was our mistake that made things not happen, but that God is still working on it. I, I think of the Consider the lilies that we so often bring up and that the scriptures so often bring up. And there's a reason for that, to remember that that God is reassuring us that he's still there, even when things aren't turning out exactly how we want them to be.
1: I know that's a folly I make repeatedly in my life, looking outside of my circle of control and trying to control things that I really don't have influence over. And it causes a lot of stress. And it's not wrong. It's not that I'm again, I'm not trying to cause problems for myself or for others, but there's no way that I can control all the things that I want to control. And I think this is an example, another example of God saying, stop trying to do that.
0: Well, and you're not alone. I think, Mm -hmm. I think that that's a very human trait to be able to trust and remember that we, things are going to turn out. Okay.
1: Yeah. Well, we were talking before, maybe this is a companion point that in section 112, one of the the chastisements given to Thomas Marsh is that he has exalted himself. In verse 15, he's commanded, Exalt not yourself, rebel not against my servant Joseph Smith, for verily I say unto him, I am with him. And I wonder if this is kind of a companion truth that we we get an overinflated view of our own um, abilities, And we then overstretch to try and control things that are outside of our circle of control, which ends up causing discord and problems and and stress for other people.
0: Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe, I mean, I don't even think we do it purposefully. We're almost doing it sometimes out of just being helpful or trying to be responsible and in control of what we're doing, which of course is great. But sometimes I think we can take it too far. And I love the thought of kind of these tying together with that because it talks about Um, Just being humble. Verse 10 in section 112. Be thou humble and the Lord thy God shall lead thee by the the hand and give the answer to thy prayers. So that reassurance coming again for us that he is going to lead us and he's listening to what we're wanting. But just remember that um, we need to communicate with him and need to invite him into these things. Don't take all of the responsibility on ourselves, but that he will be there.
1: So to connect to God then the question is what do you, what do you, what do we do with this and we were wrestling before what well, is there an invitation we could give or a challenge we could give that goes with this and we couldn't come up with one and maybe that's because it's uh maybe we can just ask it to ourselves what what do we do with this knowledge now of what follies are and uh, and and what they I don't know what 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 heavenly father thinks about our our humanity and our mistakes
0: well for me I think this study has helped me to look at my mistakes and my follies in a different way. And maybe that's what we can do is look at some of the things that maybe you're beating yourself up for, or some of the little mistakes that you think that you've caused, or some of those things that have probably already been forgiven by God, but that you're harboring against yourself. So remember that he's he's quick to forgive. So what are some of these follies that you personally have or that you've been dealing with that you can look at in a different way because of this study.
1: I like that. I think for me, it, um, it's somewhat prescriptive or proactive. If I can identify mistakes that I have made, again, not in my desired outcomes, but in the, in the methods or the framing of how I get to that point, it makes me think, well, with future actions, um, I'm really quick to identify something that needs to be done and then to try and go and do it. Right. You you can testify this, Chris, I come home and if there's problem a, B or C in the house, I get started immediately without stopping to think about, well, do we have time for this? Do I have the supplies for it? Or is this a good time to even do it?
0: Well, my first thought is no, you never do that. (laughs) And then my second thought is what problems do you ever come home to? (laughs) Mouse problems.
1: Um, But I wonder if I could be more, just a little bit more thoughtful about how I go about doing what it is uh, that I feel impressed to do. Uh, There's the age-old debate of, is it that the ends justifies the means, or is it that the means justifies the ends? If I have a good goal in mind, does it really matter how I get there? Or if I'm doing the right things, does it really matter what the goal is? And my personal belief is just that we are a church, this is a gospel of means and ends. We need both. Uh, We need to have the pursuit of true um, and divinely inspired goals. And we need to go about it in a Christ-like and divinely inspired way. And so I think that's, for me, that's my, my application. Of course, you will come up with your own uh, insights as you study looking for follies and looking for uh, thinking about your own life. And of course, your own applications and actions. Um, But thank you so much for studying with us this week. And we'll see you next episode.